So Gary, what did you do for 4th of July? Ah, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I'm fairly boring. So how about you, dude? I can say that our family tradition, I extremely enjoy. I look forward to it every year. Last year, obviously, with everything went on, didn't get to happen. But we go to this place called Shellsburg, Wisconsin, which is known for their cheese. I mean, it's Wisconsin. So that, like, yeah, it yeah. describes like half the state. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But they throw in this hour and a half long parade. And I swear you get more candy here than you do on Halloween. Okay? So, like, there's little kids and they're all getting, like, candy. And the parents are getting, like, freeze pops and cheese sticks thrown at them. So, like, it's the best. And I'm just imagining yeah, you shoving a kid out of the way being like, get out with my candy. <laughs> I didn't get any candy this year. I, like, I was like... Anytime, and, and they're all like in these cars and you know, on horses or whatever, buggies, and they're going down and they're having a huge parade. And there's just people in the back, and you just like kind of like raise your hand and look at them, and then they just toss you into a freeze pop and you like snag it out of the air. It's the best. <laughs> they were, oh yeah, I, I scratched that. They did have a parade this morning right outside of our place that we didn't know they were doing, and then we went out there and like, hey, parade. But there was like, there was a few parts that were a little weird. Like, there was one part where it was just a single guy dressed as a clown walking alone down the road. And I'm like, I don't even think he's affiliated with the parade. I feel like that's just like a normal Wisconsin thing, though, where there's just like, or I mean, maybe other places, but there's like just a creepy clown somewhere, especially in like the Milwaukee, like outer Milwaukee area, like surrounding area. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And then there was also um, a youth baseball team now throwing candy. And you could tell they were a baseball team because they were just freaking rocketing it at the kids. <laughs> That's funny. The The worst is at this parade, they also have guys who have, like, squirt guns or, like, water guns. And so, like, you're not paying attention and you just get doused in water. And you're like, thank you because it's really hot and the sunburn is, like, very much a thing. But, like, at the same time, I don't want to be soaked. Well, and everyone else is like, thank you because Justice is wearing a white T-shirt and we get to see, like, the bodice. Yes, the hottest bod in the world. But speaking of hot bods, we're Pod Wars guys. I'm here with the hottest of bods, Justice. How you doing there, sir? I'm doing great. It's also really nice to have a Monday off after a long holiday weekend, so that's always exciting. I mean, you normally get Mondays off, though, I right? normally get Mondays off, and then I get up at early o'clock the next day. So Justice is like, hey, you want a podcast at like 7 or 8? And I'm like, I'm going to be in bed. Right, so it, for those of you who can't figure it out, it is July 5th, um, and we have, I would say, quite a few things to talk about today. We didn't get to podcast the past couple of weeks just because, you know, we're still through, like, the busy part of, you just got done with your competition, and I have a, like, month left of school, so, and then and then after that, like, I think we're going to hit the pod grind for a long time, so be excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm excited for that, hitting more pod wars, maybe some other kind of stuff, too. And yeah, we're going to go back on our podcast grind instead of our usual half-assery we've been doing for the last couple months. Right. So, okay, I, I feel like this needs to be addressed, and I feel bad saying this because we don't like crapping on things, but it needs to be said, I don't think Bad Batch is that good this season. <sighs> yeah. Guys, okay, if you've listened to our podcast, you know we hate the Star Wars fans who crap on things. So if you genuinely enjoy Bad Batch, I envy you and I'm happy for you. But like, I was on my phone. I was barely watching with it today, like before we were podcasting. It's just, 
it's not really pulling me in, dude. I, I agree. The only thing there's there's I wrote down some notes. I have notes today, guys. Uh, but the two that I made that I wanted to point out was one. Her name's Omega, and they made a point about how Boba is Alpha and she's Omega, and they have like the genetic DNA that's very important. I'm I'm assuming that for Palpatine. first generation DNA of like. Now that Jango Fett's gone, it's the only pure Jango DNA. Right, and Boba is lost to the universe, so they can't get him. That's why the Kaminoans are after her, which makes you know so much sense. Yeah. Like that, that that DNA is very important to them. And then the other thing that I wanted to point out was when Hunter gets shot. One, I don't know what the hell that was going on. Like why that was such a bad standoff for him. Like Cad Bane clearly is superior um and that moment but when that next episode him waking up and the pov of everything going on and there's like bullets and wreckers like shooting over his shoulder trying to they're trying to escape and get into the ship just the pov of waking up and like you're in his helmet and like he's like disoriented i felt like i was like master chief waking up from a like cryo chamber or something it was that i like i was like this is cool I'm I'm digging this. It definitely gave more Republic Commando vibes, which I enjoyed. And I mean, we just glanced over it, but bringing in Cad Bane was cool. But okay, maybe this is just me being overthinking this because that's what we do on a nerdy podcast. We overthink stuff meant for children. That's our job. But I feel like Star Wars shows are trying to do too much of the. Like, hey, it's cool. We have a cameo of this other character that you liked before. So this is going to be dope, right? And it doesn't mean it's necessarily a super thought-provoking or interesting episode just because you have a cameo with Cad Bane. I do remember, though, when the Clone Wars is coming out, I, what is that, season one, season two, and Cad Bane was the villain. Like, he was threatening. It He's was, a great like, villain. Wanted to, Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you wanted to... You want to turn in, tune tune in like each week to see what happened, what he was gonna do. But I agree, I I didn't understand the whole what was going on, why they introduced him. Not saying that it wasn't a bad thing, just what, yeah. And the other thing that I guess I don't know if I've talked about on the pod, but I've finally broken the barrier and gotten my parents to sit down and watch The Mandalorian. Mm. And so we're almost we're we have two episodes left in the first season, and. We just watched the episode where Fennec Shen gets shot, and and today I was watching Bad Batch because I thought you were gonna want to talk about it, and we're this is like probably the extent of our Bad Honestly, Batch talk. Unfortunately, guys, we're <laughs> really sorry because <laughs> Loki's so much better. Um, but I was sitting down and my dad's kind of watching, and he's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "It's it's a TV show, it's Star Wars," and and I'm like, "Oh, but that girl," because like you know, there's a standoff between her and Cad Bane. Yeah. I'm like that. That's the girl that just got shot in the last episode you just watched. And he was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. And then they got up and walked away. <laughs> like, Which, okay, I can appreciate the endeavor of trying to connect in the Mandalorian fans with the rest of the Star Wars universe. Like, I appreciate them trying that. But, like, it's yeah. it's still just not enough for me, you know? Yeah. So, and they're liking it. <laughs> uh, it. It's very funny because my dad clearly is not a huge star wars fan and my mom just likes you know action adventure sci-fi fantasy kind of stuff so i'll be like oh that's from that and that movie you know episode four or whatever like the one where 
I'm like, do you know what planet we're on? Cause like that, that whole episode where they go after her and they're supposed to be that, the one kid who's hasn't joined the guild yet. And he's, mm, I guess it's yeah. supposed to emulate, emulate the Han Solo we're first type. introduced to Fennec Shand. Yeah. 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 And, um, I'm like, you want know planet they're on? And my dad goes, Nope, not at all. I'm like, Tatooine? He's like, Yeah. I'm like, that's the planet that Luke's on? And he's like, Oh, yep, okay. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. But like that's the good part of the Mandalorian. You could be completely uninterested in Star Wars and ignorant of Star Wars and still enjoy it. I feel like Bad Batch, you can't really enjoy it unless you're a Star Wars fan or a kid. Uh, well, I mean Oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's not that enthralling to me. Like each, it's oh, yeah. been very much that weekly episode. Bad Batch gets a mission to do something. Omega is there and you just get some little development with her. The Bad Batch wins their mission. They come back. Like the most interesting they got was when um, Wrecker started to turn. And I thought that was cool. That was something worth exploring. But then they have all the chips out of themselves now. So we're kind of like, what are they going to do next? I really hope I, I I didn't I don't think I've seen episodes nine or ten so I don't know how caught up you are but I think it would be interesting to see if they tried to get Crosshair, you know, kidnap him and get his chip out so that he can join the team one more time. I'm not sure if that happens or that could be an arc or I can see they're in a weird kind of middle stage right now where they're not necessarily a part of the rebellion they're not necessarily bounty hunters they're just kind of existing in the universe right now and i'd say if you're gonna carry on the series you're gonna have to commit to either they're gonna be kind of a bounty hunter like team or they're gonna be a team that joins the rebellion i don't know i think that's the best part about star wars though where you can be like the galaxy is so huge that there's so much going on without the being a part of the rebellion or being a part of, you know, um, the empire. Like that's why I think that the first season of Mandalorian was really cool because it really didn't tie in other than like the empire asking him to go after Grogu, you know, when you, uh, like the, the one planet where they, she, he meets Cara Dune. That is like so far out of whatever's going on in star Wars. And there's still really great storytelling mm. to be told there. That's fair. That's fair. Like, you can find other things, but you have to find something new and interesting to provide, which it just hasn't for me yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know how many seasons or seasons, how many episodes or seasons they're doing a bad batch. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming probably 12, maybe if it's a full I, season, 24. I'm, I'm I don't know. But sure. right now it seems like they're leaving it open for multiple seasons of like bad batch is going to be the new animated like Clone Wars type thing. Speaking of Star Wars, and we totally did not have this planned in our notes, but I want to bring it up. Did you watch the trailer of them breaking down Star Wars Visions that's coming out in September? No, I haven't watched the trailer for that yet, and mainly because I didn't know if you'd seen it either, and I didn't know if we wanted to talk about it on the show. All I heard is that it's, like, incredibly impressive. It's impressive, y'all. If I know anime gets a bad rap in the Western society. Now, now, now it's getting more popular, but... We've talked about it before, and we're going to say it again. The merger between Star Wars and anime is like chocolate and peanut butter. It's going to be great. It's a match made in heaven. I mean, there's some things you could only display in anime that is going to really enhance Star Wars. Because, one, you're not held back by the laws of physics. With anime, you can make anything happen. So force powers can be through the roof. And 
and anime definitely uses that to their they advantage. They definitely <laughs> use that to their advantage, and it's incredible how they do it. And then also, I saw this on uh, TikTok because I'm only exclusively on anime TikTok. Basically, that's all I have. And the guy was saying how what makes anime great is you can display emotions that would otherwise be weird in live action. Like in anime, you have characters screaming at the top of their lungs, being intense and displaying their emotions, and it works. But if you did the same kind of display in live action, it just wouldn't. So, like, basically anything that you do in live action, you can take it to the nth degree in anime, and you're not held back. And the great part about it, they kind of discuss this in... They, they, they show, like, I think the titles of them and just, like, the concept art in the trailer. So there's not, like, a huge explanation of what's going on. But the studio names that they drop are huge. Like, they there's some people that are... Like some of the great animes that are coming out right now are totally making some awesome stuff, and I'm I'm really excited to see what they do with this. I think that Visions is gonna blow, you know, people's minds, and is going to knock just the, everyone's socks off, and people are gonna ask for more. Like I, I think this could be a continuation thing, and where people just aren't ready for it. And the way they're setting it up is, uh, every episode is gonna be entirely independent in their own separate story. And each uh, studio is doing their own episode, except for one studio, I believe, is doing two episodes. Um, and so you're getting a different style of animation, a different story each and every time. And uh, I believe some of the studios are involved in animes like um, JoJo Biz- Bizarre Adventure, uh, Kill a Kill, and a few other just really big name animes. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about people describing their love for just like creating content. But in the trailer you get to hear, like you have to read the subtitles because they're, um, you know, obviously over in Japan. Uh, but just like hearing them talk about the love of growing up and watching star Wars and then having the ability to use the stuff that they do to create, you know, they create this anime that they can now somehow add to the star Wars universe. It's really cool. Just like seeing them like light up talking about it. It, it's cool because I did not even think of that international presence that Star Wars has. So, like, these anime creators grew up with it just like we did. It's really awesome to see. Yeah. So that's our extent on Star Wars talking. Um, I'm sure at some point I'll give you guys a nice breakdown of the War of Bounty Hunters going on within the Star Wars comics. I am so behind. If you guys could see my table right now, there is probably close to like 300 comics just like chilling in different piles and i have them all sorted out in like the order that i want to read because there's some that i want to read more than others and the star wars pile is getting massive (laughs) well okay speaking of comics um we talked on the show kind of how we do it justice is all about the weekly comics he gets it every single time new comic book day i'm more about like once a whole run is done i then binge the entire run within like a day or two so like venom you've been following that one for how many years now uh four four years yeah i read it all in three days and i just literally just crammed that whole run in so we're gonna have to talk a little bit of venom because i'm like emotionally oh, yeah. wrecked by that we're gonna do a two-parter at the end of- so what's the rest of this episode you're you're asking we're gonna talk some loki for sure because i think it's one of the hottest things going on right now and it's probably a it's probably some of the best work Marvel's been putting out, in my opinion. And then uh, 
two or we're going to end it with talking about venom and then we're going to talk about this really interesting comic that i made gary read and it's called murder falcon i know you're probably thinking what is that name but like once we tell you the concept you're even going to be like more confused and then you're going to get emotionally wrecked after you read it so yes <laughs> yeah so we we have some comics to talk about but do you want to jump into a little bit of loki then dude I do. I'm I'm very excited to talk about this. So, um, Gary is not as addicted to TikTok as I am, and a majority of my TikTok centers around dark humor comedy, Bo Burnham's inside jokes I don't understand, and then a lot, a lot, a lot of anime, and then a ton of just Marvel fan theories. And I think it would be a lot of fun to kind of talk about what our, I don't think we broke down episode three or four, so kind of our favorite scenes or moments from that, and then some of the fan theories that have really just sparked uh, from the end of episode four. So episodes three and four, that would be Lamentis, where they find out about the variant's plan. He's on that apocalyptic planet with Sylvia, and then... I think it's Sylvia. Sylvie, yes. Sylvie. And then the fourth episode, the Nexus event, where they're caught by the um, time variance guys. But let's jump in. What are some of your favorite moments there, dude? Um, let's see from episode three, I really liked, I guess the, just the unknown of what, where's the show going to go? Because I really thought it was just going to be this kitty cutter kind of thing where they get, you know, to the ship and they get off the planet and you know, the, the show keeps on going from there, but then they don't get off. The ship gets destroyed and you're kind of sitting there like, what's going to happen? Like, how are they going to, like, how are they going to get off of this? And because, you know, the TVA cannot find them because it's a post-apocalyptic world. So what's going to, what is going to happen for them to be able to, like, escape this this cataclysmic event? Yeah, the whole series definitely took a turn around episode three. I thought for sure that this would be kind of like Marvel's Doctor Who where he's going through space and time with the TVA, catching bad guys, and you get a good Loki out of that. And then episode three, they're like, nah, this is going to be out there. This is where we're going to really go all over the place. But I, I enjoyed the turning of events with kind of them stuck there and the idea of, I mean, Loki basically dies so many times and somehow gets out of it. But also kind of the tender for lack of a better word, moments, like uh, his love is a dagger quote. I thought that was really interesting. Mm. So the quote is, love is a dagger. It's a weapon to be wielded far away or up close. You can see yourself in it. It's beautiful until it makes you bleed. And I'm like, damn, Marvel. Yeah, that episode, episode three definitely is a slower episode. And I, I did really appreciate it just because there's so much character development between Loki and Sylvie and you know you get to see their I, I think their witty banter back and forth is also a ton of fun to you know watch and listen but I don't know if I said this on the first time we or the 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 times that we've talked about Loki but the also great part about this show is you we've talked about how he's died multiple times and gets to you know somehow get out of it but it seems like Loki is one of the only characters in Marvel that has had an opportunity to have multiple character developments where like we got to see him in, you know, Thor Ragnarok realize that he's a butthead and come out of that and help his brother. And now we're going to see him again, you know, going through kind of 
and we're the the big thing is learning how to love himself this whole self-love idea and what is you know like him accepting that he's a degenerate kind of i don't know that's i think that's the the character development we're seeing in this loki tv show it is cool that he has multiple character developments multiple arcs um because you're right each arc has its own conclusion i mean the first loki has his conclusion upon dying in kind of a humble stance that shows he wasn't destined for great and it's kind of a great tragedy and this loki is getting a bit of a self-love and kind of just a hit in the face by humility of he's not destined for that much greatness but also he's while he's getting humbled he's getting built back up by kind of through sylvie realizing the best parts of himself it's weird it's like he's humbled like crazy but also built back up quite a bit okay and this is my issue with episode four i loved it to death but i and i know like some people are like way taking this too far and like i'm not trying to but it is kind of weird that he it seems like he's falling in love with sylvie which is another version of himself i get that they're trying to teach him to like love the best parts and he's finding that love through her but it's just weird like it it, it, i don't know it, it seems wrong like that's like he's learning like he's like falling in love with himself through another version of himself dude i oh. called this on the last pod though that the only person loki can fall in love with is himself like it's it is weird it is weird but it works for me because it's loki you know yeah like i'm not gonna not watch the tv show because of this it's just like a uh it's like um i saw a funny joke where it's like what are you doing step variant (laughs) like (laughs) like stuff like that and i'm just like uh i don't like it just it's just a weird way to learn to love yourself but you know i think that's just loki in this case he's he's literally loving himself He's doing things and wants to do things to himself. I don't know. That's the thing, though. Like, is it, it seems, is it plutonic or is it not? Because before he he got, he got, uh, in the fourth episode, he gets, like, um, zapped away. So, like, we don't know what he was going to say to her. And, but I've also seen people talk about how, like, it's not a romantic thing. It's him finally realizing that there's other people that he does care about. Because in you know in the other Marvel movies he doesn't really care about helping his mom or helping his brother or, or whatnot he's caring about this like glorious purpose but in this show like he's legitimately sad when Mobius gets spoiler alert also when Mobius you know what's the pruned and then when he's gonna talk to Sylvie because he's you know this he thinks it's the end and then he gets pruned so like is he gonna say hey I love you or is he just saying like I care for you and I want the best for you and I'm sorry that we couldn't figure it out well. As much as I joke, I I kind of agree with the people who say it's not a romantic relationship. I think that the biggest thing is Loki's learning empathy for others. You know, like, he learned empathy for Sylvie with her backstory of she was just a kid existing and playing on Asgard. She didn't even do anything, and the TVA went after her. And I think that that hit him hard of, like, okay... I feel so entitled that I've been dealt a raw hand by Odin being a crappy dad, Thor being a crappy brother, whatever. But there's others out there who have experienced terrible things. And so he learned that empathy for her and that empathy for Mobius leading to more of a actual connection to these people. Right. And one of the bombshell things that we learn in episode four comes from Sylvie and she tries to explain to people and, and when, when, when she touches them and goes into their mind and recreates this memory, 
it's it's not like she's creating a fantasy for them. She's really just stepping into a past memory that they'll understand and that she can communicate with them. And Loki then finds out, or our Loki finds out that all these people that are working for the TVA are just variants that were stolen and brainwashed to work for the TVA. Like, that's a crazy thing. Like, the, because the, I think in episode two is where Mobius is talking about how, like, you got your origin story, I got my origin story, and, like, at the end of the day, I'm just going to believe, you know, what I believe, and you're going to believe what you believe. But, like, Loki realizes and is trying to figure, like, like everything that you know is a lie, my man. And I don't know, I thought that was a huge reveal. Well, and they get into kind of deep philosophical stuff. Because episode two, you have Mobius and Loki basically having a, like, is reality fixed or is reality based off of your own perceptions mobius being more of it's based off your perceptions loki being like no reality is fixed which is weird because you think loki would be the loosey-goosey one and then it's essentially later going to the bigger idea of authority lying to you and that kind of glass shattering moment which we we talked about too over the week and how that's a big pervasive theme throughout loki right so one of the so I'm I pulled for our notes like random TikToks that I thought were interesting fan theories um, that I wanted to kind of talk with you. But the first one, this one isn't even really a fan theory. It's just like a, a kind of a thought process behind what Disney Plus is doing. I think what um, Disney is doing a great job right now is that they can no longer just make a normal origin story superhero thing, or they they can't do that anymore. We've seen that happen so many times. So they now have to add some element of storytelling that's going to, you know, pull us in. And what are they doing that emotion? And what have we, what has happened? There's been 10 years of storytelling that has caused so much pain and suffering, even though, you know, they're doing great work that in each of these uh, Disney plus shows, they're dealing with trauma, just different various forms of trauma. And that, that's my own kind of uh, theory. That's not something from TikTok. That's just like, you know, in, in WandaVision, you got the whole what's going on with her dealing with Vision and her, you know, bad sense of reality. And Falcon Winter Soldier, you got the race and class stuff and um, Bucky dealing with PTSD from what he did in the past. And then in Loki, you have, you know, learning to love yourself and um, realizing that, you know, maybe you aren't destined to for greatness and also your reality is a lie at the same time so like it's all these different things that i feel like normal humans are they struggle with you know Mm -hmm. throughout their life and and disney's just doing a really good job of like intertwining it into a a superhero show yeah i i like that idea of them centering around kind of working through your own trauma because that makes the show really watchable and enjoyable even if you're not a superhero fan you know, like you can empathize with these characters and not be a huge Marvel person. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of the I mean, Loki has a fair amount of trauma. I mean, between his brother, his father, the um, the nature of how he was raised, his major ego being crushed. And then the TVA turning out to be a an authority figure that also wasn't very great so there's a lot of trauma that can you can work through there right and so the and this this one tiktok um and i'm sorry i don't have her uh handle i i do apologize maybe at some point i'll we'll shout it out but she was saying that 
So WandaVision is great because it like each Disney Plus show has subverted our expectations. And the way WandaVision did it, it was just going to be this like fun, goofy, like walk through all the different genres and history of TV. But it turned us into conspiracy theorists because of, of you know, Marvel fans thinking that Mephisto was going to get in place and whatnot. Where and then again, I as I already said, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier dealt with race and class, and then Loki is all doing she was saying that it dealt with like uh, religious and authoritarian trauma i don't know about the religious maybe aspect maybe like more like um uh what's the word like what is life like what is reality kind of Mm. a a concept and maybe not as because i don't really see the tva as like a religious figure yeah I, i i can see where they'd get that concept of like for the employees of the tva it's kind of like they found out god was a lie you know, it's that's kind of for them. I, it would definitely be that concept. Not as much for Loki, because I don't see the TVA as a godly figure to him. Um, but right. like to Mobius, it would definitely be like he just discovered that God doesn't exist. You know, exactly. Yeah. And and which we didn't really we haven't said. Uh, but one of the other really crazy scenes in episode four is when I, and I love that scene. I thought it was phenomenal when they, you know, finally go up to see the timekeepers and they're like these weird robot things, which I, or well, they look like just like weird. Um, it was like a wizard of Oz moment, basically. Yeah. Wizard, wizard of Oz or like Chuck E. Cheese. It's not even wizard of Oz. Cause like, at least like that was like somewhat, you know, maybe scary for the day, but like, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese thing where like that, like there's something clearly wrong with these animatronic things. And she takes the sword and like cuts off the head of one of them. And it just rolls. Thought that scene was just pure, good cinematic, you know, lovely content. And yeah, that further breaks down the idea of like authority or saying God is dead for the TVA workers. And then for Loki and Sylvie, it's, breaking down it's kind of like the infinity war gem um seeing those in the drawer of just breaking that uh, down the idea of what is true power of what is out there in the universe and having them realize even further that they have no idea what's going on they have no idea what's happening in the universe and they're such a peon compared to it all and what's crazy is 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 okay so now that we this is getting into like speculation and this is like i think a more fun kind of talking about than me just telling you what happened in the episode but if the timekeepers aren't real were they ever real have they been real is one timekeeper real and like just like keeping the other ones afloat how is the sacred timeline still working like all these questions come now into play like was there even a multiversal multiversal war or has that not happened yet? Like so much stuff to think about, knowing that these time the TVA and like the timekeepers are a bunch of phonies. Well, it makes you question every single thing you've been told so far. Like, is there truly one sacred timeline, or are we living in the multiverse in in Marvel? Is there other timelines that we're not aware of? Um, yeah, do the have the timekeepers ever existed? Is there someone else behind the timekeepers? Basically, everything we've been told so far has been shown to be a lie. And that's why I'm so excited for this Wednesday. I, I literally cannot wait for the new episode. I, there was this crazy fan theory that like um, I don't I'm gonna totally butcher it, so I feel bad even like addressing it. But the idea that the reason they brought the episodes to Wednesday was because of like a TVA thing and them not like saying like it like 
it makes more sense that they changed it to t- to Wednesdays because Fridays didn't make any. I don't know something like the t- how the TV affected the timeline of how the Disney Plus drops episodes, and I was like. That's a pretty cool theory. Yeah, well, I saw it as just like a low-key thing of being like, you guys are all used to Fridays. Yeah, I'm going to be different just to like mess you up. But also, but then Disney... Wednesday works way better than Friday because not everyone's a nerd like us who goes home every Friday and is like, I need to see the newest Mandalorian. I, I, I get bummed that it's on Wednesdays because now I have to decide, do I want to get up or do I want to and watch it or do i want to read comics or watch loki and it's like a to me it's a slap in the face to the comic book fans but most people don't see it like that mm, that's fair that's fair uh so i feel like we need to talk about you know what you what are your thoughts on are what's going on with the fact that the timekeepers are dead or non-existent or whatever's going on well okay so it leads to then what is going to be Loki and Sylvie's mission. Are they going to try to break down the TVA? Are they going to try to free the variants? Are they going to try to just cause madness within the multiverse? Um, basically punning for the Doctor Strange movie coming up. What is their goal going to be now? Because for a while, the goal is just meet the timekeepers and kind of reset order to their lives, I guess, or be allowed the right to live. Uh, I don't know what they're going to want to do next. So here are my thoughts, and it's going to be a long stuff. So if you want to hop in and hop out, if you say Kang like, the Conqueror, totally I'm going to slap you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going. I'm totally going yeah. to. Um, uh, no, but like one, I I cried when Loki died. I was like, not again. I was so sad. And then we have the very end post credit scene, the first one where Loki is introduced to. He's standing in front of in a post apocalyptic world, and all you see is different Lokis. You got the old, you know, golden age Loki. You got black Loki. looks like he's holding a um, Milnir. And then you have um, kid Loki, which is cool because they just introduced him recently a couple years ago into the comics. And then you have an alligator who's got a crown on it. So like all these variants, what are they doing there? Like I, so this is, these are my thoughts. Um, I do think King the Conqueror is in play and the only reason I think that, and it's more than like a Mephisto thing, is because they already announced the actor for King the Conqueror. Isn't he? They've already announced. Isn't the, he supposed to be what in the newest Ant Man movie? I don't. I don't remember. But the actor is the guy who plays. Uh, oh man, he's the main. He's the main character in Lovecraft Country on HBO Jonathan Max. Jonathan Majors totally is the yes King Conqueror, and he's going to be in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. So I I really do think that I, I don't know if the multiverse world has happened yet. I think that King the Conqueror has killed the timekeepers or at one point was a timekeeper, didn't like what was going on, and now is trying to keep this sacred timeline. And he is going around and pruning other timelines that will affect this timeline that for some reason will benefit him. That is my that's what I think. Okay, and then Running off of that, then maybe the Lokis are kind of like, to go to Rick and Morty, the Council of Ricks that are trying to allow the the universe to go into entropy, go into chaos, and saying that that's more the natural order, which would be a Loki thing to do because he wants more chaos and he does run well off of that. Right, and so one of the fan theories that um, I wrote down in my notes, and this guy on TikTok is Straw, uh, 
Straw Hat Goofy, he has a lot of good um, fan theories. But he thinks that the reason Sylvie is this really BA variant is because she is mad at King the Conqueror and is rebelling against him and trying to take him down because he, for some reason, snatched her when she was a kid and pruned her, you know, her universe. For what reason, we have no idea, but it seems kind of like a dick move just to go and do Mm. that. Okay, okay. I I can see that one. But, I mean, the only thing is, like, she was taken suddenly by the TVA as a kid. So it seemed like she was really innocent when she was taken. Yeah, like, what I want to know what she what would have happened like what nexus event was he trying to prevent and that's why they had the he had the tva go and snatch her or okay well the timekeepers go and snatch her like what what's going on um i i have no idea i also other cool fan theory that i heard from the same guy he was talking about um just kind of how he thinks the ancient one and doctor strange are very aware of the tva and doesn't know and like respects them and that's when you see the ancient one talking about like in the the timeline with the hulk and what happens when you take an infinity stone and it causes a nexus event and you kind of you kind of see that but more in a she doesn't call it nexus and she doesn't call it a sacred timeline but then he was going on to talk about how when you're doing um when doctor strange is like looking through those 14 million different things he thinks that there are certain ones where the avengers did win mm-hmm. But they, but they caused a nexus event, and which so the reason there was only one that, like the Avengers won and didn't cause the TVA to freak out. Like that's actually kind of a cool concept to think about. Okay, interesting. I mean, yeah, because you would wonder there has to be a nexus event somewhere within like Avengers Endgame. Right, and and that and yeah, again, they didn't. I don't think they accounted for WandaVision going mad psycho and. But no, I don't know. For some reason, I always thought of it as there was only one that they won. All other thirteen thousand blah 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 blah, however many numbers when you subtract one from fourteen million, um, meant just like Thanos won all of those. I don't know why, but like that's like clearly not the case. Well, that and that I think is still a possibility. But also, yep, Thanos in Endgame coming from another timeline, like he's coming from back in time forward. So that means that timeline has to still exist or it was all destroyed by the TVA afterward. You know, do you pick up what I'm putting down? I I do. It makes my brain hurt, but I do. Okay, but let's take a step back for people who don't know who Kang the Conqueror is. Um, He's classically an Avengers villain, primarily. Um, But he's Nathaniel Richards, and he became Kang the Conqueror as he kind of, his main power is that he's, able to do time travel and through his time travel gains all this intellect and technology that he uses to fight the superheroes. And that's kind of where he could interact with the TVA in that he's a time traveling entity that's moving around. Right. Yes. And he, there, there are um, kind of like the infinity gauntlet when it comes to comic books, there is a lot of like big throwdowns with King the Conqueror. I'm very excited that he's introduced um, one of the things, so I, I was watching with my dad and he's like, okay, I don't like these superhero things because it's like, they introduce this one thing. And then in the next five years, like, oh wait, well that thing is actually not as strong as this thing. And they keep on doing that. And I'm like, yeah, because they have to keep on upping the ante. 
and there's definitely in comic books where King the Conqueror literally takes Thanos and just kind of like snaps his neck. So like King the Conqueror definitely is this strong hero or super, or super villain. So like, uh, I don't know. Like Thanos he's an is Avengers great, level but... kind of villain. Like he, they could do a King the Conqueror level kind of event. I don't think they will, but they could. You know. Yeah, I don't know what they're. I really have no idea what they're gonna do with episode five. And I wish that there was gonna be more Loki than just like two more episodes. Well, okay, another fan theory that I want to bring up to you, too, because, okay, if we're looking for people who mess with the TVA in Marvel, Kang the Conqueror is a big one because he does a lot of time travel. The other one I've seen people say is, maybe this is just hopeful Marvel fans looking for X-Men inclusion, but Cable is one of the biggest time travelers in Marvel, and that we might start to get a little bit of either Nuggets introducing some X-Men and time travel, like Days of Future Past, things like that. Um, or a full-on show of Cable. That one I doubt, but I could see maybe like a little Easter egg or something. That just seems like another Mephisto thing. That seems totally other Mephisto, but I'm also all for it. I am all for it, although Cable is arguably one of the most confusing characters in all of comics. Yeah. Granted, they did do a good job of it in Deadpool too, but just... Like right now he's a young kid and I don't like he, he just he time travels way too much and it's too much stuff happens so I, I don't well, know. Well, he Cyclops's to... kid when Cyclops was married to the clone version of Jean Grey who also became a villain later and he has a what is it like a metal illness that causes his body to turn robotic. It's super weird, guys. Cable's weird, but also dope. Yeah. Yes, he is cool. But going back to Loki, where what do you think is what do you think is going to happen in the next episode? I think that they're gonna. Well, I think the next episode is going to be a okay. Where do we go now? Kind of episode, and we're going to definitely get introduced to the alternate timeline Loki. So that's where things are going to start to get really spicy, in all these different Loki variants showing up, and that I think is where they're going to explore next. I've heard some people mentioning that leading to like a Young Avengers thing, which I'm like, eh, that's probably not going to be the deal. But I I think like. Because Marvel's has that Council of Ricks kind of um, concept already with, like, the Maker and the Council of Reeds in the comics. So, like, they could do that as a, uh, like, a Council of Lokis fighting against the TVA in the Sacred Timeline. So what I think next episode is just going to be a setup episode for the final one, which I feel like is a lame answer, but I think it's the most realistic one. I think it's going to be a lot of, like, spoofs and gags with Lokis, you know, kind of messing around with each other. But I think on the other side, it's going to be Sylvie. And I think she's going to take over the TVA and kind of like when she's either going to look for Loki or Loki is somehow going to be able to get all these other variants to show up to the TVA. And she's going to like have it like on under control. And they're going to come up with this plan to we'll get rid of the TVA. That's what I think is going to happen. I could see Loki being, uh, leading to like a nexus event that causes the multiverse of madness you know it's like they're breaking down the tva destroying the established established order leading to that event in the, in the doctor strange movie that's my prediction for the series hopefully we'll see what happens anything else in season four before we hop into or sorry episode four before we hop into comics anything else you want to bring up that did you cry when loki died no because it's loki and i'm like he's gonna be back like it's Loki. 
I was shocked. I was also kind of sad when Owen Wilson died. That I was I was sad about that. I'm like that was out of nowhere for me. That was a good shock. Um. Also, Owen Wilson is killing it. Like I did not think that he would do a good job being in a Marvel, you know, TV show. But he is. This this show is making me care about his character, and I didn't think that was going to happen. And it's not okay. <laughs> I'm feeling emotions, and I don't want to feel feelings. Exactly. All right, I think that's a good talk for Loki. We'll definitely be podcasting on hopefully episode five, and then we'll also do an episode six, or that might be combined. We'll see what happens. I don't know. (laughs) Again, guys, we're just shuffling through July, but we're going to hit that podcast grind pretty darn soon. Yes, hopefully we got some interviews coming up soon, and definitely we'll be talking. Are we going to see Black Widow? Like, do, do we... I feel like we need to talk I, about that. I feel like we need to do that, but it totally has been off my radar. But that needs to be a thing. Because that comes out next week or in three, four days. Shoot. That's like three or four days from now. I know. I don't know how I feel about it. But anyway, we'll talk about that when that comes out. All right. Do you want to talk about Murder Falcon first or do you want to talk about hmm. Venom 35? Okay. I feel like we should just discuss the venom run a little bit for people and why it's so great and why we're talking about it now sure um who's editing the podcast it is going to be me so try not to mess up okay so we'll leave a space for jingle comic of the week (laughs) (laughs) anyway all right, guys. Yes. Um, I know we've talked about Venom. We've given you guys these huge kind of analysis and breakdowns, but we're finally at the end. Donnie Cates hitting another home run. So we're going to give you a little background before we dive super deep into Venom 35. Gary, you just read it, so I feel like you're more qualified than I am. So... Uh, like I said, I like to binge entire comic runs and just read all the trades in one shot. And part of why I really want to read Venom was, one, Justice has been harping on it for the last few years. And I'm like, okay, eventually I'm going to get around to reading the whole run. Um, I reread a lot of these because I'd read Absolute Carnage and whatnot before. But part of what makes this run so interesting and great for comic readers is because it's really shaped the landscape of Marvel Comics more than a lot of other runs have, or at least in the recent, uh, this recent time period here. And it's taking a character that has otherwise been kind of an ancillary character for Spider-Man, had a few decent runs that were like enjoyable, but never really had a shining moment. And they're really expanding that with Eddie Brock. And you have two main events going on within this run where essentially all comics in Marvel were a part of those events, that being Absolute Carnage and King in Black. And we're we're obviously going to talk a little bit about both of those events as we go along, and we have talked about them in the past. But the thing that really, I think, makes this run special is how it's expanded the Marvel Universe concerning symbiotes and how those are now kind of... An, on the same plane of importance as, say, be maybe like mutants or Avengers or whatnot in how they shape the Marvel Universe. And I, I think that's something that's been really key and really important alongside them introducing the new character and villain, 
this cosmic level villain of Null. Right. Yeah. Donnie did a really good job, like you were saying. It it, it the way that he set up the story, finished the story, and ends the or, yeah ends the story. He leaves this tale that can be used to tell so many stories and venom is now this whole new character that could be told outside of being a part of spider-man and that's what's great about it like when they let donnie take this like you said this character that is has been attached to spider-man and and now he i feel like doesn't need the influence of spider-man characters he can go out and do his own thing and that's what's great about you know this whole this whole run and also just like the different touchstones that Donnie touch or um, brings up and, and kind of discusses uh, is going to leave an impact for the Marvel comics for the next, I would say five to 10 years, which is why I think this run is so important for comic fans to read, but it's also good for people who are more on the fringe because it's an origin story. That isn't an origin story, you know, like they don't do the, like this is Eddie Brock. Here's his normal life. Oh no, he suddenly has powers. What's gonna happen? Oh no, there's a villain and blah blah blah. The classic cliched origin story. They don't do that, but they also include little nuggets for those who aren't super familiar. Just little touches of hey, I used to be a bad guy. Hey, I used to be a villain of Spider-Man. Now I believe in saving the innocents. And they repeat that enough that people who aren't huge comic fans can kind of they can they can pick up the pace you know right and like like donnie introduces oh okay one i wanted to say the story is dark like it's like it's it's sad it's emotional but it's it's extremely good and i mean that like the abyss arc where it's going over like why venom actually cares about the innocence like that's another thing that donnie did well too is he gave a reason why eddie is the way he is and why eddie you know wants to protect the innocence and why back in the day he thought spider-man was a bad guy like he 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 really built up this character and he kind of didn't really need to but he did it in his own donnie way and like knocked it out of the park um but also like there's there's just like these moments where donnie will insert like this emotional ties whether it be family like with him and dylan or even eddie and spider-man and friendships where you're just like why are you crushing my heart right now like this is so good well i i i going off your statement of like he didn't really have to develop this character i kind of disagree i feel like he did because at least to me venom's been nothing more than a really cool suit and kind of a fun spider-man villain at least to me and i feel like to a lot of people he's just like they see him against Spider-Man, they think, wow, that's a badass-looking suit. And, like, he's a fun character with cool powers. But Donny, what he does is, Donny Cates being the writer, what he does is make him a compelling emotional character and him being Venom together. So, like, the, I think the most emotionally compelling is the relationship between Eddie Brock and his symbiote or his other Venom. That, I think, is the one that really is the star of the show because they constantly have, like, I, I don't know. It's, like, a loving familial but also, like, couple. It's not at all romantic or weird in that, but they're, like, connected together as one. Like, he describes the symbiote as his other, and they're constantly wanting to be together and not be alone. And, like, we're stronger right. when we're together. And it's 
it tugs on those emotional heartstrings in moments where that he's separated from his symbiote. It's like he's basically at his most vulnerable, and that's what really gets me, those two interacting. Right. Well, yeah, there definitely is the whole when, like, Eddie has such a hard time being alone and, like, being by himself or feel like, like he feels like he can't do the hero things without having something like the venom suit to be there and like he doesn't so like his journey on learning like how he actually is this powerful human this powerful like you know hero stand-up guy is is also a really awesome journey all right really quick we're gonna do it what happens there's this god of the symbiotes who is locked away and he is encased in a group on a planet of symbiotes um venom the venom suit somehow broke out of the hive mind and has been on earth for a really long time and is now bonded to Eddie. When, as the story goes on, one of the symbiotes on, I don't know how do I want to say this from the, that was connected to the planet that was encased null. That's the big villain comes down and Eddie realizes that there's this huge elaborate backstory that he doesn't know anything about the symbiote planet on the side you have this group of people who want to resurrect carnage and carnage comes back to life and realizes that if he collects enough symbiote dna he can awaken null from his prison so comes down that's the absolute carnage series eddie and carnage have it out he chooses saving dylan which is his son who gets introduced in the second arc Carnage is able to awaken Null from his long slumber, and Null is going across the galaxy, blotting out everything because he is the god of the void, the god of darkness, all the way to Earth, which leads us to the King in Black event where Eddie essentially becomes the Enigma Force, which is a whole weird comic uh, thing that is very hard to explain, but basically is the god of light, and is able to destroy Null, which is a beautiful, powerful, very colorful scene. I absolutely loved it. He takes the power that Dylan has out of himself, and now Eddie becomes the king in black, which is this whole circle thing. Eddie goes from powerless to the most powerful being now that he... And so because the symbiotes are all a hive mind, they have the opportunity to recognize Eddie as this king, and keep in, stay in touch in the hive mind or go on their own thing, which is a very important thing that happens in the Venom 35, which Donnie set up for other writers to kind of take, which we'll talk about in a second. So that is kind of what's going on, and now we can talk about Venom 35. So, Justice, you summarized that in the amount of time for me to quick run and pee, so I appreciate your summary. And it kind of reiterates the idea of you had Venom, this ancillary character, now adding into a whole universal impact on the symbiotes this new big baddie that marvel never had and then venom defeats it to become this new ultimate celestial level hero and that's leading into the newest comic which we're going to talk about and i loved it i read it probably four or five times it was very very good um i do have to say that donnie stuck the landing he not only ended the Venom run where he wanted to end it, but he set it up for the next writer, Al Ewing, to take pieces where he wants to go. And also is, you know, one of the great things about 
Marvel writers like Jonathan Hickman, Jason Aaron, Donnie Cates is like they kind of have their own story, their own like Marvel tale that they want to tell that they kind of string along through like various characters. Like Donnie started in Thanos wins and went several server black and his, you know, in Venom and Thor. Like he's kind of telling like reshaping his own Marvel universe. And he totally does that by leaving Oprah the whole maker thing with the ultimate universe. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, strings and things left over from Venom 35, also called Venom 200, because numbers are confuse- confusing. Okay, so let me, well, hold on. So the reason it's called Venom 200 is because that's the legacy number. That means there's been 200 Venom comics that have come out, but this is the 35th one in Donnie's run. Numbers are confusing. But no. anyway, so they wrap up the series with, with uh, Eddie Brock and his son, Basically, given a house by Tony Stark to start a new life. And they're kind of in a weird, like, but cool normalcy and having a true family. While at the same time, uh, Eddie is adapting to the fact that he's now essentially on God-level power. And this is what really wrecked me emotionally was seeing that he's a normal human being trying to handle this power. And it is aging him and breaking him down. Right, Eddie looks old. I mean, like, picture your grandpa and then, like, times it by two. He is old compared to what he looked like in the beginning of the Venom run. The him, the reason, like, the, when Gary's talking about these godlike powers is he taps into the hive mind and he can tell all the symbiotes across the universe to basically do what he wants. And he's got this omnipresent power where he can be at any place at any time and, like, kind of, like, take himself to a certain symbiote and... You know, right now, uh, Eddie is planning on going and cleansing all the evil that Null has done and gone to different planets and killing these, you know, twisted things that Null has created on various planets. And that's kind of like what he's been doing since Null has been defeated. And the the comic itself kind of has two conversations going on. One where he's talking with Spider-Man and they meet in a diner. And then the other where our Eddie is meeting with the Avengers. And I loved how they're happening at the same time. But when you're reading the, the first story, you think like Spider-Man's like trying to talk to Eddie and, and Eddie's like kind of there and kind of not. And, and, and then like the story keeps on going and then they do the Avenger conversation. But then there's like certain interruptions where he's like, Oh, sorry, Spider-Man is trying to steal my fries. <laughs> I love that part. It it was so funny. I love how you're you're absolutely right that like Donny Cates writes a fantastic Spider-Man because his Spider-Man is like the fun, like jokey Peter Parker that I want, you know? Right. Donny grew up writing or reading him. And so he like knows his voice. I feel like very, very well. So I'm, I'm kind of bummed that he's not on ASM, but hopefully someday he'll get be able to write a huge Spider-Man run. I'm sure he has one ready to go but the i like this comic because there i feel like there's four parts to venom 200 335 whatever we're going to call it venom 35 you have the conversation with spider-man you have the conversation with the avengers you have what's going on with flash and then you have um the the end with dylan so the spider-man thing is very touching because spider-man always has his whole character is being plagued with guilt, guilt of uncle Ben guilt of, you know, Gwen Stacy dying, not being able to keep his marriage with MJ, just like always being feel like feeling like he's letting people down. And he feels guilty that this whole symbiote thing 
is his fault that Eddie is now aging because he went to a certain planet. He wasn't strong enough. So he bonded with this thing. He brought it back. And like all this stuff has happened because of him. And Eddie's just like this dick. And it was kind of like, dude, the, the symbiotes have been around on earth much longer than you. Like you are not the center of the universe. And, and, and you like, I got to like the expression that Stegman does for Spider-Man. He's just kind of like, you knew this and you didn't tell me. Like, you douchebag. <laughs> yeah, like, Eddie knew for a while. Is like, you know what? I still kind of hate Spider-Man, so I'm going to let him, like, sweat a bit. But we're referring to uh, Secret Wars back in the day where Spider-Man got the Venom suit. Think back to Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire, our boy, that kind of-ish storyline. And how he's racked with guilt with that. And I love how douchey Eddie is to him. Right. And it's, it's just funny because, like, Eddie has... Eddie at the same time is again at the the second part, the Avengers mansion. And he's essentially it's Donnie laying down what the next big thing is going to be. And it's him, like the one loose end in all of Donnie's writing that he didn't finish in Venom was that there's this character, the maker who's essentially the bad villain in the ultimate universe. The he's a bad version of Mr. Fantastic. And he used the symbiote power to be able to somehow get into his original universe. I'm not really going to explain how he did that, but he was able to use the symbiote power to get to the ultimate universe. And he's going to try bringing the ultimate universe back, which is really cool because in 2015, Marvel, Marvel was making too many comics, like the actual company and they like needed to pare it down. So they had this multiverse world world war, which is kind of like what's going on. It seems like what's going to happen in Loki. Maybe they'll do a battle world thing. That'd be super cool. That'd be pretty cool. Um, so Marvel need to pare down some comics. So they destroyed like all these timelines and basically, and the, the two big ones are the main one earth six one six. And then I don't know what the ultimate universe is. I think it's like 1066 or 1060. And only a few characters were able to hop on over to the main universe, like miles Morales and the maker was able to come. So now he's trying to get back to the ultimate universe. And so that's like the big, huge event that's going to happen next when probably not for another like five years, but that's something that he's still laying seeds for. And for those who don't know the ultimate universe, it is where uh miles Morales Spider-Man comes from. It's this whole set of comics from, I believe around early two thousands where Marvel tried to create like an easier comic line for those who didn't follow all the decades worth of history. And so there's some beloved right. stories within the ultimate universe of these lines of comics. And now this is Donnie saying, Hey, we might resurrect some of these beloved characters and beloved storylines. Yeah. So there's a scene in the Venom 200 where he, like the maker is in front, like on the ground. I think like it's like Times square and everything's like on fire and he's like, this will do. And then it's just kind of like moves on to the next thing. It's like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Thanks, Donnie. Like, what's going on now? Um, so the third thing that's really big, and I think that this is going to also lead into a more, uh, more, more comics, more stories, is Flash. And for those of you that don't know, Venom at one point was put into a lab, and they were able to, they were able to give it drugs to calm down the. You know, like when you when you think of Venom, the, the, the teeth and the long tongue, they were able to like give it drugs to the point where it didn't turn into that. It still used a suit, but he was able to like become Agent Venom and he could like use guns and whatnot. And that was Flash. Um, Flash wore that suit and and but Flash got killed 
and in the King in Black run, he was able to come back, and now he's walking around, and so I think that they're going to do like a, a, a wholly different story with Flash now that he's alive again. You know, it's comics, characters always come back from the dead, and so so in this story, the third part, the third act, I would say, there's like a scene where he's in a coffee shop, and a bullet goes through the window and hits the the coffee guy like the, 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 the worker and like right in the just right in the head and there's like blood everywhere and and flash is like oh my gosh people are after me and the guys who are after him like no like we're after the guy that we just shot in the head like we're not bad at our jobs <laughs> and <laughs> and and flash like beats them up and but it comes to find out like the the coffee uh, the coffee worker the barista is um a man who had passed away that was or was going to pass away and is bonded to a symbiote. Yeah, like the guy had and so, cancer and the symbiote was keeping him alive. Right. So I, I think the huge thing that's happening with this storyline, which I think is super cool, is the idea of I said that, you know, the symbiotes are a hive mind, but Eddie gave them a choice to either stay or to leave. And so some of them stayed. So now, like you were saying earlier, Gary there's this idea of like what are these symbiotes going to do are they going to be like the next mutants where they're now the hunted people because earth hates them because they came down and you know started this war and were you know consuming people and yada 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 but now they're not evil so what are they going to what are they going to do are they going to become citizens now yeah so justice and i were talking about this over the week but essentially one of the aftermaths of the king of black storyline is that there's symbiotes all over earth now so symbiotes being who Venom is, uh, that kind of alien creature. And they can go inside of people, but they're not necessarily bad because they're no longer controlled by a villain. So, But somebody's hunting them down because, I mean, they're connected to a cataclysmic event that led to a lot of damage and a lot of death. Now, I, I was saying with Justice, I think they're going to become kind of like the mutants were back in the day for Marvel. Uh, they're now going to be the the lower class, the beaten down, wretched refuge kind of people that are going to have somebody fighting for them. And I think Agent Venom or Flash Thompson, who has his own other storyline within the Venom run, I think he's going to be kind of their hero. You know, he's going to be the guy. And that's something that I think Al Ewing can for explore. Sure. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if Al Ewing's going to. I think Al Ewing's going to do what the fourth arc is um, all about, mm. which is... Um, so Venom the suit communicates with Eddie a lot and he has the, in, in the run that Donnie, you know, just had, there's a, there's a time where it, like he is in a coma that the suit itself is. And so he like forms into a dog. So, and, and walks around with Eddie, but now since Eddie has these godlike powers and has the, uh, the has to kind of like control the universe and, you know, make sure that everything's going smoothly. He doesn't have a whole lot of time for Dylan, which is like this really emotional struggle thing that is happening. But then, um, uh, so the the symbiote will turn into a dog and will walk around with Dylan to make sure that nothing bad happens to him. And one really emotional scene for me is when Dylan's like, "So what do I call you?" and and he goes onto this like whole long thing about how symbiotes don't have names; they're more of like a like a like a vibration within the universe and and then Dylan's like well can I can I feel your vibration and he, like he puts it like some of it on his chest and like there's like this really touching moment where he like it's like this 
beautiful i don't know like he's dylan breaks down in tears like like it's so just beautiful to him yeah like to finally understand like to get to know this symbiote character venom a little bit more and then it turns into which is really sad like dylan has a whole lot of anger his dad eddie abandoned him because eddie didn't know he existed his mom left him Eddie's grandpa, who was taking care of him, beat the ever-living crap out of him. Noel comes after him. He has these powers. He just went, like, he had these powers, and then his dad took them from him. So he has all this anger, and he's getting into fights in school. And, like, the one scene where he's, like, beating the ever-living crap out of this bully. And you think, like, he's about to kill him. But then it's just, like, this, like, like, uh, like him thinking about what he could do to this bully that's picking on him. Nothing actually happens. Later that day, Venom and Dylan are walking back, and they see the Hobgoblin, which I think is super cool. Wasn't it, I thought it was Jack-O-Lantern. Read... Yeah, Jack-O-Lantern. Yeah. Or, or is it, it, is it, I don't know if it's Jack-O-Lantern. It's, either way, it's, it's the first, I think it's Hobgoblin, because it's the first character that Venom fought in the first Venom number yeah. one for Donnie, and now Dylan fights him, and or is going to fight him and and <laughs> and how i i think it I, I don't know which character is but anyway he like pulls out a gun and eddie or sorry venom stands in front of him gets like you know about to p- protect him and the bullet goes through the venom and hits dylan and hits him like and is like he's gonna die and so now venom has to bond with dylan and they become this huge massive new venom suit and We'll say Jack O' Lantern, Hobgoblin. I'm pretty sure it's the Hobgoblin, but like, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he goes, like, oh shit, like I just fucked up again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a super cool looking suit, and it's really teasing so that essentially Dylan is going to be the new Venom. He's going to carry on the mantle and be like the, our new character. And I think he's kind of like a perfect sort of. I mean, he's a teenager, so it's kind of like an angrier, grittier Peter Parker type character is what I imagine him being. And he goes back right. to see his dad, and his dad's like, I knew this would happen. like, And like, proud of him. You know, like he wanted yeah, them to be yeah. together. He's like, took you guys long enough. And he's like, well, dad, I'm sorry. Like, there was a girl, and she was in trouble. And and he's like, no, like, this is you now. Like, th- you you do you and like he's like let me see the suit and he gets into it and instead of having webs he's got chains which is a callback to kind of like todd mcfarlane with spawn and donnie's favorite thing saying kids love chains and dylan being a kid saying what like dot uh not donnie eddie's like what's with the chains and dylan's like i just like chains and then it's just totally a callback to the kids love chains yes and so then he swings down the so it's it's cool like the whole like we're we're getting a new venom and I'm excited to see what Al Ewing is doing, going to do with it. So that that is Venom 200, Venom 35. There's other things in there that were really great, but those are like I would say like are the four main like like if you wanted to know how Venom 200 ended, that's like that that's all you need to know. But like to kind of go full circle here, why should you read this run? Why is it important? One is just how it changed the landscape of Marvel. Two, it's just because of the fantastic character development for an otherwise, like, 
lesser known character compared to like the big guys the spider-man the avengers and whatnot and then on top of it just the fact that big cataclysmic events happen throughout and it's setting up for all these new possibilities within comics and so i highly recommend for people who are anybody who's interested in comics it's a good one to start with if you have just no idea agreed very much so i there's like you said a great story and then there's so much more to come in the future so if you like want to find something if you want to find a hobby and want to get something you know to do for the next year ever like pick something up once a month start with the venom run and then follow into donnie's thor and hulk run so that's all i got to say but guys i just want to give a shout out to dakota Rotkros all the way in ohio me and him became friends because we're huge venom fans we definitely need to have him on the show um we kind of ryan segment and donny cates have their own podcast and i i listen to them frequently and that's how i met him but they also have a podcast called zig at the gig and it's more of a music podcast where they get to interview various performers um but they had the chance to interview daniel warren johnson who is a up-and-coming artist and writer He's super cool, Gary. I don't know if you know this, because he draws and writes his stories. Mm. Um, and sometimes I think he inks them, too. Uh, so he, he kind of does it all. And he's doing Better A Bill right now. And he wrote this awesome comic called Murder Falcon. You guys definitely need to go find this podcast, Zig at the Gig. They get to, they get to uh, interview him, and they really dive deep into this. But Gary and I are going to talk about murder falcon just for a hot second because it's i'm going to tell you the concept and you're gonna be like this sounds so stupid but then at the end you're like wow this is really good and that was super like sad yeah like okay justice told me the concept and that was literally my reaction like this sounds really dumb but i'll give it a go and then i'm like why did this stupid ass comic have to emotionally wreck me like this so like let's go over the concept you you can you can explain it okay so it's called murder falcon and it's about a muscled-out, gunned-out falcon that is fueled by the heavy metal music of rock and roll from this guy, Jake. And that's the concept, is that he's fueled by this to fight evil. He's fueled by heavy metal. And I hear that, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and the first like couple panels... Uh, it's like when Jake starts playing the guitar, cause that's, you know, that's how the murder Falcon gets his powers and he can start fighting it. He screams metal will destroy all evil, which is one of the most badass things to say, but also like, I don't know, for some reason I like this idea because when you read the trade, Daniel Warren Johnson goes into this whole thing. Like he wrote this when he was going through like a really rough time and music helped save him. And when you kind of think of metal music, I think a lot of people think of like, this screaming, you know, angry stuff. Like but they get like violence kind of coming to mind. R- right. But like, there, like there is actually like a lot, like this sounds, I know this sound, might sound controversial, but there is quite a bit of uplifting metal music that it's not just like this, like screamy, let me get angry and listen to it. But like, I don't know. There, there, there is music. I feel like that is in that genre that is very uplifting. Yeah, like I, I loved reading his little aside thing in the beginning because this is kind of the main theme of the comic is learning to go back to our Marvel stuff to adapt to grief and trauma in a positive way, and that's what 
this is kind of personifying in in an odd way is that he's this character Josh Jake is his name is dealing with his grief multiple types of grief through Murder Falcon kind of <laughs> introducing music into his life that helps with the grief and you're absolutely right Justice like metal's a genre that can be both oddly uplifting and help just be a great release of all the angst, anger, fear, sorrow, all the stuff that you have pent up. Yeah. And and so the comic, I'm not gonna, we're not going to sit and go through each thing. It's only eight issues, so like go and pick it up, go and read it, get the trade. It's very very easy to read. The there's so many cool wrestling and music references. Again, I, I encourage you to go and listen to the Zig of the Gig um Daniel Warren Johnson interview they really dive deep into it but the the concept is just cool that he has to there's like this evil guy who's trying to take over the earth and he has to form a band and each bandmate has their own you know monster that's attached to the musical instrument that can fight when they start playing it so like one of my favorites was the almost the ent Mm. that the the one like kiss guy um yeah and i also really like really like the drummer's serpent like a drummer when she's playing uh she had like this huge serpent comes out of like a water and like destroys like this really really massive monster but again it's it's sad because like i don't want to exp- i don't i want well, you guys to like each it. of them because we don't we don't want you we don't want to spoil it but each of them has their own adversity or trauma they're trying to move through and you see them banding together as individuals and just through a love of music and they want a desire to save the world to fight through their trauma work through it especially in the main character like there's a lot of twists and turns and you're left there thinking like wow this is way more than a stupid book about heavy metal fueling some fight against monsters right especially uh the, when she screams the yep I yeah can't, i can't then yeah so uh that's all we're gonna say guys go and pick up murder falcon by daniel warren johnson he's great i i believe he also has a youtube channel if you want to check him out i have not done that yet but he he shreds on there he also kind of draws and will show his process in doing that so yeah that's all i gotta say gary you got any closing thoughts it's really good, guys. You got to give it a shot if you're looking for comics that are non superhero-y. It's a really fun one. All right, Gary, where can they find us? So you can find us occasionally on Twitter when we're deciding to not be half-assed at Pod Wars Podcast or send us emails at askpodwarspodcast at gmail.com. We're looking forward to hitting the podcast grind soon. We are in the works with a couple interviews and a little bit more comic front but i had a lot of fun just you know spending so much time talking about loki and especially some comics today heck yeah we love you guys thank you for continuing support through this uh semi-challenging time and you all have a great week